Housing Studios. On this episode of Low Culture. <laughs> I love this. I planned it ever since Tuesday night. Thank you for not prolonging our agony. My mom enjoyed vandalism. Why don't we call your mom? Dinosaurs. It's coming, it's coming. A small fuck you to the man. It was so disgusting. I'm the manly man doing manly things. Episode 5, Mrs. Doubtfire. Hello and welcome to episode 5, the last episode before the finale of Low Culture. As always, we're joined by Daniel, Jester and Kim, my good friends, my great friends who have stuck with me through this entire period. And today we're here to talk about Mrs. Doubtfire, which is the only movie that was selected that is actually not a franchise. But not for lack of trying, uh, this never made a sequel. So before we do anything else, let me do a quick readout of the Wikipedia. Mrs. Doubtfire is a 1993 American comedy drama film directed by Chris Columbus. It was written for the screen by Randy Myron Singer and Leslie Dixon, based on the 1987 novel Alias Madam Doubtfire by Anne Fine. Robin Williams, who also served as a co-producer, stars with Sally Field, Pierce Brosnan, Harvey Firestein, I think, and Robert Prosky. It follows a recently divorced actor who dresses up as a female housekeeper to be able to interact with his children. The film addresses themes of divorce, separation, and the effect they have on a family. The film was released in the US in 1993. It won the Academy Award for Best Makeup. It grossed $441.3 million on a $25 million budget, becoming the second highest grossing film of 1993 worldwide. Though the film received mixed reviews, it was placed 67th in the American Film Institute's AFI's 100 Years, 100 Laughs and 40th on Bravo's 100 Funniest Movies of All Time. The original music score was composed by Howard Shaw. So if you're wondering which was the highest grossing film of 1993, it was Jurassic Park. There are a few things about this movie that is similar to a few of the other movies we've discussed. So of course, it came out in the same year as Jurassic Park. It was directed by Chris Columbus, who also directed Home Alone. I think that's it. Yeah, those are the two things. Yeah, no, there thought- are kids. <laughs> there are kids in the movie, and they were also kids in uh, Omelon and Jurassic and Park. Toy Story as well. Oh wow! Only Lion King yeah. does not have kids. Jester, do you remember the first time you saw this movie? I definitely do not uh, remember the first time I watched this movie, but I didn't watch it on television in one of the Greek channels. I always loved Robin Williams. We had Aladdin. Uh, in VHS back then and it was the only actually Disney movie we had in English so it had Robin Williams playing the genie and I generally loved watching Robin Williams being silly as as a kid and I watched it at some point when I was like I guess in the early 2000s I want to say so I was like I don't know 12 13 which at the time I really really enjoyed it I do remember my mom enjoying very much the scene where Robin Williams takes the Mercedes sign off of the like the front of the car. What a beautiful little car for Don Juan. So sad when that happens. I don't know why I have that in my head. Robin Williams doing that and my mom chuckling like <laughs> I love this. I don't know why that has been imprinted in my head as a child. <laughs> My mom enjoyed vandalism. That's the uh, fun, funnest memory I had as a child watching this movie. Oh, what, what about you, Daniel? Do you have any memory of watching this for the first time? Yeah, I do. And I remember quite vividly, honestly, which is, which is really rare. I remember it was on a Tuesday evening about three days ago. That's, that's why I remember it so well. <laughs> <laughs> I had never seen it before. Oh, um, my God. You know what? What's, what's really the weirdest is that I was convinced that I had seen this movie. I really was convinced that I had seen this movie if you had asked me a week ago. When I started playing the movie, I was like, ah, that doesn't look familiar. Well, I must have seen it, I don't know, 20 plus years ago. And the more the movie progressed, the more I realized that I had never seen that movie. You really had me there, Daniel. When you said like it was Tuesday, I thought you were going to have a story about like how every Tuesday when you were young, uh, you (laughs) had like a specific karate class. So you remember going back home from karate and your mom had VH. I don't know why I had like very vivid story coming out of this. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. I planned it ever since Tuesday night. I'm like, huh, I'm going to present it in some way. But yeah, I didn't want the joke to be too long. So I went right away into it. Thank you for not prolonging 
feeling our agony. I, I appreciate it, Daniel. Yes. So, uh, well, I'm glad you got to see the movie now, uh, and I'm sure we'll discuss mm-hmm. more about your thoughts about the movie. I guess watching it as an adult and not as a, as, a, as a child. Kim, do you have any memories? Initially, I thought, unlike Daniel, that I had not seen the movie up to approximately <laughs> the point when he, quite early on, he brings a petting zoo to the party. Are you aware that it's illegal to possess animals of a barnyard nature in a residential area, man? What if you're married to one? We're also responding to a noise ordinance violation. Believe me, I'm going to respond myself. I'm awfully sorry about this. I'll get back to you. You ate my begonias! Good! Get out of my way! And when I was watching the wife, uh, Miranda, basically dress him down and explode at him. I was like, I've seen this before. And then for about two minutes, I actually kind of replayed that scene because I was like, have I seen this before? I was like, geez. And for a while, I thought it was just like uh, me projecting all the time as my parents argued onto this because honestly, that felt realistic. Yeah. You have all the fun and I get whatever's left over. Oh, you chose the career, Miss I have no choices here, Daniel. I have no choices. Even when I try to do something fun, you have to do it 10 times bigger. I bring home a birthday cake and a few gifts. You bring home the goddamn San Diego Zoo. The energy that Miranda brought to that, that argument and, and the avoidance of that. I was like, is that is he me? Am I, is he, am I doing this? And then, no, I, just, I had seen it before. There were other scenes that I remember. I think that actually it was the face landing on the road scene that I was like, ah, oh, I have definitely seen this before. I just had, didn't remember parts of it. And there were parts that are fairly offensive today, which completely passed by my consciousness at the time. Just like, it was probably when my parents were still renting VHS tapes from that now extinct video shop. Because it was there, it was was 1993, it was one of the biggest films of the time, it was definitely there. And we definitely saw it. We'll talk a little bit more about some of the stuff that perhaps is not as well received today compared to from what... It pushed out in 1993 and, you know, made the second biggest movie in the, in the year. But for me, and I don't know if I'm mixing up my memories here because I have a memory of watching it at my uncle's house and at that uh, in Dubai. I remember I was fairly young. I think I was still, it was one of my, the first few years that I was in Dubai. So I clearly saw it a few years after it came out. Probably around Eid, the family was over at his. Usually we would have lunch there. Me, me and my cousins would, uh, I guess, to keep us quiet because we'd always be fighting. They would put on a... A movie and we'd watch and so I, I have this memory of watching it's either this or home alone i'm not quite sure which i think it's this one because i don't know if my parents would have necessarily rented a movie in which a man dresses up as a, as a woman and we would have watched it as a family I, I don't think they would have done that so that i think that's my memory of it that i watching it at my uncle's place uh back in dubai when i was still still a kid because i have certain memories of him putting on the mask in uh, you know his brother's putting on the mask on his face are we close any closer and you'd be mom putting out the fire on his uh, on his suit on his on his breasts or his fake breasts i guess this holiday smells like burnt rubber god it's hot in here as a woman I'm getting hot flashes even the point where he pulls up the the mercedes logo so i have those memories in my head uh so i definitely seen it before but i i think i saw it as a kid in, in my uncle's place yeah yeah I think unanimously then this movie is not very memorable when you see it as a child <laughs> <laughs> Yes, possibly. I guess. Okay, so it's interesting because watching it, uh, rewatching it rather, I realized there are quite a few sort of more adult themes in the th- in the story than I'd remembered. But maybe that's why. Maybe I'd watched it and I thought, oh, it's so funny. You know, a guy dresses up as a woman. I was a kid anyway. I, that's as sophisticated as my thought was. And everything outside of that was like ah, boring. So I think that's probably why my memory my memory of it is still a bit hazy. So many people found the scene of him taking the Mercedes logo to be memorable that came back with like most of you and especially uh lefteris's mom like found that hilarious yeah it's it's funny how that came back to most of you guys i don't know is it like i guess it's so disrespectful like something that you would never do to actually do this that that it feels like i don't know memorable in that way i'm, I'm just curious as to why this specific thing i can only assume right like i, I don't i can't understand why my mom would enjoy this a lot, but in the context of the movie... Why don't we call your mom? Movie, Why don't we call your mom? It, it's what, like 3 p.m. in Greece now? 
I can connect uh, via Bluetooth to my system if if needed. Yeah, yeah. You're you're laughing, but I will. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> we don't have special guests yet. Yet. Okay. Yet, okay. Yet. Anyway, the only thing I can assume is like through the, like the course of the story in the movie, right? Kind of sympathize with the character of Robin Williams. I mean, at least that's what the movie wants you to do. Sympathize with uh, Robin Williams. Mm. When you see the Mr. Perfect guy who seems kind of like without actually, you'd have, you'd have no idea about his background. And it seems like he kind of have not worked about for anything. He just like was born into money. He had everything, has a nice car, he has a nice body. He has like money. You kind of like feel sorry for him. And I don't know, out of spite and like, yeah, yeah. And it's not, and it's not like a actual damage to the car because nothing happens to the car. You could just like go and put it back. It's not a big deal. Just a, a, a small fuck you to the man, quote unquote. <laughs> I, I think it's similar for me as well, right? I remember it because I, mean, I was I was a pretty good kid. I didn't do stuff like this. And that just moment of vandalism was like, oh my God, I can't believe someone would actually do that. you know. And there was no repercussion for it, really. It wasn't just any car, right? It was a Mercedes-Benz, which even today is a, it's an expensive car. It's an expensive brand. So so I think that's what I remember that it was. It was it's, it's the equivalent of someone like keying uh, a Rolls Royce or something like that. Like I would remember that. It's quite a vivid thing. Uh, or thing on your, or a desk or something like this, right? That escalated. I, I wouldn't necessarily put them in the same category. But, uh, but okay, I, I've seen this in a series like a couple of days ago. That's why it connected in my brain. Which series is this? What are you uh, watching, that, Daniel? That is Mythic Quest. If I can plug a series that is not very well known, Mythic Quest is hilarious. The past, the last two episodes were not very good, apart from <laughs> that one scene. But the rest is really, really fun. I would really recommend it. Is it on Netflix or something? Or... Uh, yeah, it's totally on the platform that I have access to. Ah, okay, okay. Understood. Well, I'll, we'll I want to say though that actually the so. scene for the Mercedes wasn't the most memorable one for me. In fact, in watching this, it was I didn't have any memory of it. When I watched it, right, I was like, oh, this is new. Whereas, I guess the, the divorce one, I was like, ah, I think because 1993, I would have been like somewhere between 8 to 10. And my mom was constantly threatening to divorce my dad. And it was just like, oh, is this what it's like? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh no. And then also my uh, <laughs> this constant sense of insecurity, but also like, ah, I see my home life on the screen, this is, mm. which most of the time you don't see divorce on screen, right? It's just mm. this very unsexy kind of topic. Interestingly, I thought it was quite nuanced in a number of ways. There wasn't any kind of happy, it was a happy ending in a way, mm. but it's not the get back together kind of happy ending. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it was actually. Other than the things which didn't age well, which I'm sure we'll get to sooner rather than later, it was a fairly interesting movie, right? It's quite complex, nuanced, and it dealt with a lot of the issues that it was raising with uh, some sensitivity. So I, 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 I want to get back to that, Kim, uh, but just something that you mentioned about the fact that at the end of the movie, they don't end up back together. The Robin Williams and Sally Fields character, they don't end up back together. I remember actually watching an Indian version of this movie in the late 90s because uh, it was made by a very, very famous South Indian uh, superstar. But the movie was then released in, in Hindi, which is not a South Indian language. And in that, he it was a very similar story, right? He, his, he and his wife divorce, but they have only one kid. And then he becomes a, a live-in helper, kind of, and he comes dressed as a woman. But by the, if I'm not mistaken, I think by the end of the movie, again, because it's, it was a Bollywood film and there were many songs, I think they get back together because I, in, I guess there's certain sort of cultural norms that they had to adhere to and they made sure that they, they adhere to that. So in that sense, it was, it was a lot lighter as a movie, if I remember correctly. This one wasn't, Mrs. Doubtfire wasn't quite as, as light a movie as this one, but I have that memory. I have that memory of watching it at home, that memory, I have a clear memory, but yeah, so that's something I remembered. But um, I'd like to talk about li a little bit about what you guys liked and what was your favorite things about the movie, whether it was your favorite song, or no songs, a bit of favorite uh, dialogues. No, 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 there were no songs in this movie. <laughs> Left Maybe we should watch the, Indi <laughs> the Indian uh, version of it. That, that, that's, a, that's a different season. Favorite characters, favorite scenes, favorite dialogue, something. Uh, I'd love to hear more. Uh, and I guess, Kim, maybe we can we can start with you. Um, I, well, there's quite a few things, right? I think, uh, first of all, Robin Williams is masterful in this. I think it's, he's turned in... It's, I mean, he's known for so many things. Doubtfire normally isn't one of the canon, right? But he, he does it so well. He's funny. He's 
he's sad. He's the saddest man I've seen in, in, in this series of podcasts. He has nothing going for him, right? A, a third into the movie, he's, his life is falling down around his ears and he's the only thing he can do is something that is horrifying, actually, on a number of fronts. But when he's saying like, oh, when he's just saying how he loves his kids and you're like, this is, this is, he's bad his soul. Ever since my children were born, the moment I looked at them, I was crazy about them. Once I held them, I was hooked. I'm addicted to my children, sir. I love them with all my heart. And the idea of someone telling me I can't be with them, I can't see them every day, well, it's like someone saying, I, I can't have air. I can't live without air and I, I can't live without them. Listen, I would do anything. I just wanted to be with them. You know, I need that, sir. We have a history. And I just... They mean everything to me, and they need me as much as I need them. So please, don't take my kids away from me. And it's like just his eyes and the voice and just comes together, right? Came this close to making me cry. I was like, at one point, I think I said out loud, this is a farce. And it's a really well done farce. And I think there are a couple of set pieces where he basically tries to avoid being found out. And those, uh, I think one is when the, the court liaison comes to his place to try and uh, inspect his house. And he's basically playing two characters, trying to convince her that it's one. Uh, I think the part where he drips cream into that, that was just into the tea that he had offered inadvertently to the uh, the court liaison that was just like, like how do you do that and apparently it was an improvised moment like the cameras had heated up the ice, icing so much that it started to drip and it oh. wasn't in the plan but he just improved his way into making that work and it did hello ah! oh I'm sorry to frighten you dear I must look like a yeti in this get up this is my nightly meringue mask part of my beauty regimen what it is is basically egg whites Creme fraiche, powdered sugar, vanilla, and a little touch of alum. There you go, dear. Oh, there you go. You've got your cream and your sugar now. It's a little cappuccino. One drop or two. Would you like another one? Oh, there you go. <laughs> oh, as you can see, I can't stay with you, dear. I'm melting like a snow cone in Phoenix. There we go again. I'll go get Danny, all right? He'll be right with you. Hold on. It was so disgusting, Mike. <laughs> it was. So was. And then the other actor, like, you know, the call as on, you know, she she reacted, right? She actually yeah. put it on her face and I was just like, this is ridiculous. It's just like, how do you plan, how do you get to a moment like that on film? And then the second one was, I think, during the, in the restaurant, that was again another set piece but you could see it was like an out of control train wreck you're like you're watching it and it's like holy shit it's, it's coming it's coming and I think the moment uh, where he puts the pur into his rival's food and you're like this is an, this is a Greek tragic moment this is a Oedipus style he cannot control himself this is his self leading to his downfall and you can see it coming and no one can stop it. And that, uh, so I think there was quite a lot of things in there. Um, just to see like how, as, as a movie, it's, it tells a, a great story of like a, tra a, a very tragic figure. Life happening to him and then him reacting in possibly in some of the worst possible ways. Oh, Daniel, I have so many questions about science. Do you have any answers for me? Where can I find answers about science? Sorry, I don't have any answers, but I know someone who does. Who's that? Well, that's Lefteris. He has a wonderful podcast called Lefteris Asks Science. What's that about, Daniel? Tell me more. He goes and meets scientists and he asks them questions about why, how, and what is it that they do and why do they love doing what they do and what do they discover that's really focused where can i find out more about this excellent podcast you should simply go to lefterisasks.com and there you will find all the information about this podcast including his past around 20 episodes and you will learn from things like how do bonobos or some other types of chimps i forgot which ones behave in the forest as well as things about black metal, as well as a Japanese scientist telling a very interesting story. <laughs> oh, those are all questions I had this week. Thanks, Daniel. Lefterisasks.com 
he he reacted with like the worst possible ways, but he always had, in most cases, the best intentions in mind, right? Mostly, yes. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. actually entirely yeah. accurate. Mostly, up to the point where he knows that this guy has an allergy to pepper. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> Let me do this thing. Yeah, but in mo- in most cases, he he always like tries to seeing his children, try to keep he's trying to keep everybody happy, but uh, and at the same time, be a friend to his kids, be like uh, the show his kids how that life is just also supposed to be fun, not only like uh, school and whatever, but he does not actually think about his wife. He always has like he never acts selfishly. He all everything that happens to him happens because he acts in a more selfless way, right? At least that's how I see it. Yes, but he's also uh, reacting in a way that is kind of uh, he doesn't try to conform to the traditional ways of of doing well, right? So he's asked to get a job, he gets a job, and then he also gets a second job that is also basically illegal, false pretenses, yes. fraud, that kind of thing. Those flaws are part of him, like he's how he reacts, and none of it is our character. And there are no villains in this movie, right? It's not him, not the wife, not even the the love rival. So initially, he's portrayed as this like slimy guy. I was like, ah, it's Bond, <laughs> womanizer, but. <laughs> He there's a part right. I think it's at a swimming pool where he has a moment of truth, and I was fully expecting him to go like, "Yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna like, you know, make love to her and then abandon her." But no, apparently he really likes the kids. This is not how yeah. I expected that to <laughs> yeah. go. Yeah. And then he ends off with, "He's a loser," and I'm like, "Well, harsh, but fair." Who's Rugrats? Miranda Hillard's. Miranda Hillard? Mm-hmm. The woman I'm seeing. No kidding. You? A guy who's never having kids? Won't have anything to do with kids? You won't even date a woman who's got kids. People change, Ron. I'm pushing 40. I don't want to spend the rest of my life by myself. She's got an awful lot of baggage, though. Three kids. Three terrific kids, and I'm crazy about them. Especially that little Natalie. Look at her. She's a sweet eye. God knows. They need some kind of stable father figure in their life right now. Thanks, Todd. Oh, what about their real father? Yeah. What can I say, Ron? The guy's a loser. And then he throws a lemon, I think, at his head. And I'm just like, that is, is just such a childish thing to do. Loser. Yeah. Oh, sir! I saw it! Some angry member of the kitchen staff. Did you not tip them? Oh, the terrorists, they ran that way. It was a run by fruiting. Uh, and also possibly he could have found out and whatnot and just like foolish and childish and also very loud I guess he hit the microphone or something <laughs> it was like crunch <laughs> in that moment of like oh that sounded not like a lime that sounded like a stone hitting a rock yeah. uh, mm-hmm. And but you know none of it is, is bad it's, it's, it's like evil or anything there's no clear cut villain and, and Robin Williams's character Daniel he's just not doing that well like, he doesn't he's called a loser and then the next thing he does is like the most childish thing which is also okay yeah he he, he acts super naively <laughs> what's his downfall right is that yes yeah, so this is why i think it's, it's a fairly like in some ways it's a tragedy of how what is happening to him and i guess not in the classic sense where he dies and everyone around him dies because that would be a very different mrs doubtfire but in a in a small i guess dramatic sense like he the things the bad things that happen to him are because of flaws in his character that he cannot control Perhaps I had a slightly different interpretation of uh, Robin Williams's character in the film. Definitely very sympathetic. Definitely someone who has who you who are rooting for. Like you said, there are no villains in the in the movie. You know, even his wife, his long-suffering wife, she's trying to do the best she can, and in many ways, she's taken on responsibilities that should ideally be shared between her and her husband, right? In a, I guess, more equal partnership. And even Pierce Brosnan, even as inappropriate as Mrs. Doubtfire is with him, he always invites her to the pool, to the dinner. Like he's always, she's always invited and he's doing his best to befriend her and the entire family because he knows that she is important to the rest of the family. I, I don't know, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that he does things with the best intentions. I think he has one intention, which is that he loves his kids very, very much. And he's going to do whatever it takes to be with them, even if it means hurting other people. You know, I think that to me was uh, how I interpreted his character. And definitely he's he's flawed and there's, maybe he reacts in certain ways that is not ideal. Uh, I think oftentimes his or his, uh, not mistakes, but his actions often other people have to bear the brunt of it and often have to do a lot of the, well, in the beginning of the movie, his wife has helps to clean up the house exactly. So it's it's when he's called a loser, I thought, 
Yeah, that is in a way I can understand why it is. He it is in. I mean, it's a harsh assessment, but it's also fairly accurate. At least how we would judge a, a father to be or a person in a marriage or etc. So yeah, but he was still my favorite bit of the whole movie. Like Robin Williams was the, my most favorite thing of the whole movie. And I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned that Mrs. Doubtfire is probably not remembered as part of the Robin Williams canon. I would disagree with that. I think it's actually a fairly big part of his canon. For me personally, anyway, I think I, there are two roles, which is uh, a, a genie in Aladdin and Mrs. Doubtfire, that I always recognize oh, really? as part of. Uh, not, yeah, uh, did poets or no, not so much. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so but he was my favorite, and there were parts of the movie where they just let him like they just let him go, right? They, he was doing voices, and they just let him do voices, and it had nothing to add to the story. And we were just watching Robin Williams be Robin Williams like two or three times. It's fun. It's hilarious, and we know. We know we're just watching the camera or the director say, "Hey, just we're going to focus on you for a few minutes. You do what you need to do, and we'll edit it together." And it's just fun to see that, especially you know now that unfortunately we can't see him do that anymore. New stuff. That specific character in the hands of a lesser actor would have come across as being very much a jerk and someone undeserving. But I think because Robin Williams played it the way he did, he came across as much more sympathetic, and you are rooting for him, even though you recognize that he is flawed and you recognize that he is uh, he is you need it's uh, work being. In a, being a friend to him, being in a relationship with him, even his brother also is helping him as much as he can. Right? Robin Williams had always had that quality to him, even in his comedic roles or anything. When he had to switch, he would always manage to find the redeemable quality of the character he was playing, or like the good aspect of the character he was playing, and he would always portray it so so well and uh, it was so sincerely, and that would just make the character that he was playing extremely funny because it's Robin Williams, but at the same time, very sincere and relatable in a sense. So what was your favorite part of the movie then, Left Terrace? I, I said it yesterday, like, on Monday when I watched it for, again, and I remember it when I was a, a child. So there's a scene, my favorite scene from the whole thing is a very small scene that flies under the radar. So there's a point where when he's at his normal job and he's packing tape or whatever it is that he's doing when everybody's not there and he goes to the studio and he sees the dinosaurs on the table the entertainment value of just for himself there is nobody else as far as he knows <laughs> he just just so that, so that he can entertain himself he goes on the table and he starts performing it's a dinosaurus line da, 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 da. and please welcome the king dun, dun, dun. Dun -dun -dun. Dun -dun -dun. It's a dinner show. Dun -dun -dun. Hey, uh, hey, where are you from? Thank you. I'm gonna make you lunch. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. But ladies and gentlemen, put your claws together. Uh, please welcome James Brontosaurus. Pump, 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 pump. I eat wood. Dinner, 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 dinner. It tastes good. Dinner, 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 dinner. No meat. Big feet. I eat wood. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, I got to help myself. Can't go on. Can't go on. I'm going extinct. Oh, thank you, James. But right now, yo, it's time for the raptor rap. I'm a raptor doing what I can. Gonna eat everything till the appearance of man. Yo, yo, see me. I'm living below the soil. I'll be back, but I'm coming as oil. And then later, like, Mr. Lundy sees him and he says, oh, this is very funny. Let's get the show or whatever. I'm bored at work. I need to do something so that I can feel better and do something and to, to entertain myself. I love that so much. <laughs> I, I do that so. all the time. <laughs> I, I, I'm a very um, constantly moving person, as you all know, because we've played together on stage. I'm moving all the fucking time. <laughs> so where I, I just need to find ways to entertain myself, right? And like that bit, like it reminds me of that a lot. I'm bored at work. I'm packing tape into fucking boxes. Ooh, look at the dinosaurs. It's just amazing. <laughs> Daniela, <laughs> as the one person who saw this movie as an adult, what was your favorite bit or part of the movie? I think I like those two moments where he has to pretend that he's two people at the same time. The stakes and uh, the way it's executed is just, just fun. And the way he keeps on justifying everything that happens. So he sits at the wrong table, dressed as Mrs. The Fire, and he finds a reason to justify it, etc. That reminded me so much of improv in that way. It's like, you've said something that you were not supposed to say or to do. Well, just 
justify your way out of it and that will just work and and i thought okay that's that's just brilliant so obviously i i guess this part was scripted but it's just it worked so well i was like oh how is he gonna get out of that can i help you man oh sorry i'm late but after all those scotches i had to piss like a racehorse mm. daniel yeah why in god's name are you dressed like a woman Well, I'd like you to meet the host of your new show. Host? Euphigenia Doubtfire, dear. I specialize in the education and entertainment of children. Surprise! Oh, yeah, okay, he does. Oh, <laughs> and that. Oh, well, he does. And yeah, yeah, that's, that's just so fun. Oh, no, I, I remember that scene when he sits down as Mrs. Doubtfire in front of Mr. Lundy and you're like, oh, my God. We're like, this was bound to happen. We know it's going to happen. That's the whole, why, that's the whole reason why they put mm -hmm. these two people's tables apart. And you're like, oh, what is he going to say now? Because it's such a, how do you, yeah, just before that, he was saying he was making out with a waitress and now suddenly comes dressed up as a, as a woman. And you're like, what is he going to say here? It's just such a tense scene, which, you know, of course, it's a family comedy. So do we agree that in real life, he would have had an excuse not to go to his ex-wife's birthday and go to the most important dinner of his career? I think so. It's, yeah. it's not his kid's birthday. It's his ex-wife's birthday. Why does he really have to be there? It doesn't have to. It's just... Find an excuse. You're supposed to be another person. Mm -hmm. I don't know. On that day, you're playing bingo. He's so good at justifying everything. But then suddenly, this one thing he can't get out of. Uh, you don't go. You, you cancel last minute. Exactly, right? They needed... Uh, yeah, it's clearly the story needed it. Like, they needed him to be there to see her receiving the gift from Pierce Brosnan, whose name... I forget. What the hell was the name of the movie? Stu. Stu, James yeah. Stu. His name was Stu, not James Bond. <laughs> so I think he needed to see that and then to react to that and then put the pepper in his food. Like all that stuff had to happen. So, but it's a very good point. Like I would think he'd be, he should have been able to wiggle his way out of that fairly easily. Oh, Daniel, my life is so boring. I wish I could trust people more. I wish I could let go of failure more. I wish I could have more fun in Singapore. Can you help? Have you tried improv? Improv? What's that? Actually, one thing you could do is listen to Geniuses, Poet and Artist, which is a podcast started by Kim from the Improv Company. And he talks to a broad range of improvisers in a community here. Wow, that sounds like fun. What are some of the things that they discuss on the podcast? Well, they've discussed many different things from improv to why do they like improv to how do they use improv in their life, as well as Manchester United. That sounds like an electric combination, Daniel. Thank you, you've changed my life. Let's talk a little bit more about what we think has and hasn't aged so well. And I think there's, there's quite a bit that we can unpack here, and I don't want this to become too much of an intellectual discussion, but let's, let's see what we're comfortable with. So I know, Kim, you had some thoughts about this, so I'd love for you to share. Oh, geez. Mm. <laughs> um, I mean, it was, uh, I guess the word transphobia was mm. generally like this coming every time someone said, ah, it's a man who is a woman. And that happened like multiple times throughout mm. the week. I mean, that was the whole premise, right? And I was like, okay, well, that's one thing. And at the very end, there's this entire, this is one completely unnecessary joke about Pakistanis running convenience stores in England. Yeah. What language is spoken? And I was like, oh. Yeah. I was like, what? what? They didn't need to do that. Do you know what language they speak in England? Pakistani. Oh, that's right, Kovex. In many stores, they do. But we'll get into that tomorrow, boys and girls. There is no <laughs> language as Pakistani, just FYI. Yes. And then everyone's like, oh, yeah. And it's like, that's not even, like, that's your response. That's, oh, yeah. It's like, mm -hmm. What? Just, uh, okay, you got transphobia the whole movie. All right, it's 993. Sure, you know, okay, we can see that. And then, and you know what? Pakistanis. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Why? <laughs> and I suspect that was just an improv thing, right? Like, he just made it up and it was like, ah, that's funny. Let's leave it in. And now yeah. it's part of Mrs. Doubtfire, right? Just an added... Yeah. 
it's like the final three minutes of the movie or something. They had a dash of racism in. No <laughs> I guess it's not really a dash, right? There's even a scene, right, where he drops his face and for some reason, two Korean kids are there. And why? Why is it? Why did they make that decision to have two Korean kids? And they don't do anything that specifically. They just kind of laugh and look dumb. There's nothing <laughs> to the scene. It could be one kid laughing, any kid. Um, so I think that, and I guess it's just the general transphobia, right? Uh, every scene in multiple toilets, right? Where I guess given the, how the debate over uh, transgender rights has gone in the US, right? Where the, there's a whole straw man about, oh, you are going to let men who become women so that they can go into female toilets. And then he does this the whole time and you're like, okay, well, if someone released this movie today, they would be said, this would be quite a, a tasteless thing. I guess in 1993, it didn't have that whole context around it. And it was really <coughs> fine. Like I, at the time as a kid, I would be like, ah, ha ha, man, woman, uh, man who is woman, oh, uh, boobies. Uh. But now it just, it doesn't, it has not aged well. There's one scene where I get all of the, the, the things, the scenes that Kim mentioned and very transphobic, but because movie has to movie, let's just say that for the sake of argument, you let them pass. There's the scene where, where his kid figures out that he's a guy and then when he realizes that it's his dad and then he doesn't even want to hug him or like high five or touch him you don't really like wearing that stuff do you dad well some of it's comfortable no no it's a pain in the padded ass this is not a way of life it's just a job i don't go to old lady bars or anything like that after work you know you know it's it's the only way i could see you guys every day who did this uncle frank and aunt jack Oh. It's really you in there. Yeah. It's just a mask. And this is a bodysuit. I didn't have any operations or anything. It's good. Yeah. Hi. Hi. Oh, hey. Sorry, I scared you. Come here, Chris. No, no, it's okay. I get it. I just, you know, don't want to hug you or anything. Not just yet. It's cool. It's a guy thing. And there's no closure to this. They just leave it there. It's a guy thing. That made it a bit cringy. I was, I was hoping, I did not remember because I hadn't watched this movie since I was a kid, right? I was like, I'm hoping that something, there's closure to that. You make things a bit, show a bit better. But uh, no, it just stays there. Like, it's a guy thing, so I'm not going to touch you because you're guy just as a woman I, I have a question about that which I'll, I'll come back to after but daniel is there anything you'd like to add the main moment when it struck me is when he's on the phone pretending to be different people and he calls his wife and then he's there is this one scene where he just says because i used to be a man yeah my name is ilsa immelman and i want to know how many children do you have i have two girls and a boy oh a boy i don't work with the males because i used to be one is that not actually just your plan the whole way anyway? Like, how does that make any sense that you would use that line? It was just, there yeah. are other things that are interesting in the way that, like, other themes, I guess, that this movie touches on that are treated much better than this and much better than I would have expected, I would say, in terms of, like, divorce, separations, etc. You have to go past the the... The way uh, trans people were seen in the nineties, unfortunately, yeah. I think in many societies, even even today, right? Yeah. Um, and it's it's a, it's a, it's of course. I, I think that's why when I was watching it as an adult, it it wasn't a very comfortable experience watching it. And I realized there were there was you know values have changed, the social norms and uh, the social conversation has changed so much in like twenty five years, thirty years. I wanted to talk a little bit about what. We think as, because we are four cisgender heterosexual males, I wanted to get your thoughts on what you think this movie says about masculinity, right? There are a couple of things that the movie does, which is interesting. Like it doesn't, the tone is a bit inconsistent about some of these things, right? So for example, the phone call where he says, yeah, I don't look after boys because I used to be one, something along those lines, which felt like such a, why would you even put that in such a, it felt like very, very random and very wrong, right? Then, because when he's, uh, as Jester said, as when he's revealed as the father, the daughter reacts very differently. She comes in and she hugs him and she's like, oh my God, I can't believe you're there, dad. And the son reacts very differently. And the father goes, ah, it's a guy thing. 
and i'm that was very distinct to me like why why is that distinction so so stark and then the fact that you know the whole going into different toilets change and all that as well at the end of the movie the judge does award a full custody to the mother i'm not sure is it because he thinks that robin williams character dressing up as a woman is the problem because then he has cert- he has supervised visits only or is it the fact that he lied about being mrs doubtfire i'm still not 100% sure what the reason was but i think it's a bit of both right that either the fact that you dressed up as a woman itself means makes you some kind of deviant and then after all this there's the relationship with his with his brother who is very obviously gay but it's a very healthy relationship and it's interesting that yeah. they decided to make his brother gay he could have been a sister could have been a straight man but they went for the choice to make his brother gay and then have a very loving healthy helpful relationship that was also unique to see in a movie at that age like they having such a positive mm. relationship and reaction or, or interaction with the like even he's still talking to his mother like it's a very clearly everyone's happy and they're very in a happy family daniel uh yeah. in the, in the movie ah, his name is daniel uh, why did i forget that oh my god yeah yeah Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. I was wondering how we were going to end all this, but yeah. but yeah, so far it's going pretty well. <laughs> okay, sorry, sorry. Oh wow. Um yeah, Daniel and Miranda, the main characters in the movie yeah. whose names are repeated a billion times. Yes. Um <laughs> Daniel Daniel yeah. doesn't actually talk to his own mom, right? He kind no. of just fobs him off yeah. and then yeah. his his brother yeah. who deals with it. Yeah, yeah. So his brother who is clearly he's he's gay and he has right. a, a boyfriend and the mother clearly knows about it and she's more than happy she asks about the boyfriend stuff like that. So it's a clearly it's a very normal positive relationship that that family has. It's interesting that they chose to portray it that way and then outside there's all these other issues around, you know, that is different. So I'm wanted to understand if you guys have any thoughts about what do you think this says about being a man or being you know a, a cisgender male if it says anything at all to you because i think for me it gave some mixed messaging here which i i wasn't very easily able to reconcile i think uh, there's a number of things here to unpack but it actually uh, seems to promote a fairly healthy version of it right because robin williams character is trying his utmost to be a good dad in the way that he knows best to his kid which is not by earning gobs of money or necessarily imposing rules but just showing them love and affection and um trying to make them happy and he displays this this is his through line to his entire thing all the dumb shit he does is basically to try and make his kids happy to get spend time with them which is really a fairly healthy way of looking at fatherhood and then even uh in terms of masculinity right he the guy thing and what not that's kind of he's contrasted with that like who are the male characters here his son uh his rival his brother and his lover/husband possibly I'm not sure because it's not explicitly stated I think but he's referred to as aunt jack at one point uh which is yeah. such an interesting little it was just a little like boop, and it's dropped and not commented like I was like aunt jack do you mm. do you do that to people like do a gay couple and I was like mm. and then the moment passed mm-hmm. um but it's it's fairly healthy right there's no point where he postures or what not uh, even and even the male character his rival is portrayed as a reasonably healthy male figure who is trying to do the best for this woman that he's seeing he calls daniel a loser behind his back but he's not entirely wrong he doesn't really know daniel right so he won't he has only heard stories of daniel from miranda, from miranda. Yeah. so i guess he wouldn't have heard the good things since they're separated so it's yeah. logical that he had heard stories that he's a ah, loser yes and i mean there are other points too right like i think miranda um and while uh mrs doubtfire you euphigenia is speaking to miranda <laughs> about her sex life and then miranda goes uh daniel's okay I hope you don't mind me being a tad rude, but how was he? You know, I, on a scale of one to ten. Oh, well, that part was always okay. Just okay. And but then she doesn't go on about it. She was like, "Oh, it's okay." There were other things that I loved about him. That ties into the whole masculinity and like I guess like how the relationship goes and uh what's the traditional male role in a family because clearly he's not the breadwinner, he's not the rule setter, he's just the fun dude, right? Uh who is trying to love his kids and that's that we know that that is true in so far as we can tell from his actions throughout the entire movie. So I think it's quite an interesting take on masculinity in uh when it comes to like that male 
role and like how masculinity is portrayed in these movies. When it comes to Robin Williams, Robin Williams always kind of had a very fluid presence in most of these movies, right? He was never, I don't remember him ever being, I'm the manly man doing manly things. I will save uh, everybody because I have the most hairs in my chest, which is true also. Yeah. <laughs> he was a hairy dude, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Which he embraced, uh, he embraced, yes, yes. In most of the movies that I remember, I might be forgetting a couple of movies, obviously, but in most of the movies that I remember, Robin Williams, he always was the poster boy for the non-conforming male figure in any situation. And Mrs. Doubtfire, again, because he had his brother, had a partner, they were gay. In that sense, to be, to be pretty clear, it is as progressive as Disney is in 2020. You, I, you rarely have a blockbuster movie, the second biggest movie of the year, with main characters being gay. You always had like secondary characters being gay or two people. The, the biggest example that I've had is in the, the Rise of Skywalker. There's, ah, there's finally a gay couple in the Star Wars universe, but it's like two people in the background. Mm. They kiss for a second. Nobody else sees them. Sorry, not, not in Singapore. I, I didn't see any gay couple in Singapore. Did you see any? I just never saw the movie. Uh, I can never, no, it never was censored the... in Singapore, so that does not exist. What are you talking yeah, about? So no, no, your audience. True, We're true. in Singapore. It is a different conversation, right? When people talk about, I, I mean, it's it's a distinct conversation, right? When people talk about gay uh, gay rights in the gay community and, and I guess trans rights in the trans community, right? We don't want to couple them and uh, don't want to lump them all in the same in the same boat because that's not fair and not accurate either. Maybe they were progressive in certain parts, but also it's interesting, right? So I know that at the end of the movie, you know, the, the kids, his wife, they're all they kind of they look past the uh, the fact that he was dressed as a woman for a fairly large amount of their life and they are happy to the fact that they can just spend time with their with their father right and his wife as well so it's interesting that his wife reacts the way that she does because she has this big shock moment at the dinner and she says so i think so it feels like the shock is that it's her husband who has been lying to her rather than his husband dressed as a woman again anecdotal not that i'm this is anyway scientific but i have uh, heard a few Female friends say that if they if their significant other who's 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 uh, who would be male and cisgender and heterosexual would dress maybe more femininely, they would be uncomfortable with it. So it's it's interesting that even her reaction, I think, to that also is quite progressive in a way that they kind of look past and they're like, oh, they see the fact that he was doing it to be a good father and to spend time with his kids. Right, that was the only thing. It's an interesting choice. Yeah, absolutely. From from the way, I mean, I don't remember from the way the judge describes it as well that really being the issue as much as just he lied. Uh, maybe there is something I missed there, to be honest, but uh, I, I don't remember that being being mentioned in any way. So, well, well thank you for, for discussing this, because this was a question that I think was obvious with a movie like Mrs. Doubtfire, something we would be discussing something like this. So it's, I'm glad we could have this slightly more intellectual, heavy discussion. While I was thinking about it in the and watching the movie and thinking about it, I was like, I don't know how comfortable I'm discussing this in this because I'm not sensitive enough into in that field because like I am cisgender. Like I would not be offended because I don't know how it is how it is to feel and, and mm. be transgender, right? How many other issues like that I've missed in a movie yep. like this, right? I hope that we were not um, mischaracterized or we didn't hurt anybody. No, I think that's a good point. I think that's why I wanted to make sure that we discussed it from the perspective of masculinity, because that's probably where we have some experience, I guess, in that. Because that's how we are viewed in society. That's kind of how we identify ourselves as well. Definitely, we're not experts in other aspects of the film, but in our own amateurish, limited knowledge way, this is what we'll discuss. I mean, happy to have people correct us, happy to have people share, happy to have people listen, really. That's the main issue. <laughs> if you're listening, thank you, really. Is this peak Robin Williams? No. So Left Terrace said no very quickly. So I would say, sorry, but I would say because I don't like the James Bond movies, I would say it's peak Priest Bronze <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Wow. Mrs. Bradfire was Pierce Brosted's best film. I wonder how he feels if he, if he heard this. Yeah. <laughs> But what, what if this is not peak, uh, peak Robin Williams for you? Then then what would be? I really love them in Goodwill Hunting and Good Morning Vietnam. Ooh, that was know. good. Like, Good Morning Vietnam was one of the movies that enforced the idea in my head that I wanted to do radio when I grew up. When I watched as a kid, Kim Daniel, 
is this peak Robin Williams for you? He's clearly very good, I'd say. Um, but I would have to agree that uh, Good Will Hunting and Good Morning Vietnam at least topped it for me. I, I liked Dead Poets at the time. I haven't seen it for years, but I liked it. For me, th- those two are, are slightly better, but then I haven't seen them in a while. But they're, they're definitely better. No one said Aladdin. I'm so disappointed. For me, like this is not peak Robin Williams, but for me, peak Robin Williams is Aladdin. Genie Aladdin, that is. Is it? Can you really compare it in terms of a performance of an actor? It's all, it's a different. It's almost a different genre to a certain extent, right? Yes. So I, I don't know. And again, this is not the point of this particular episode. But why I would say Aladdin as peak Robin Williams is because he is not the main character there. But that's all that everyone remembers. It's kind of like Johnny Depp in Pirates because he was not supposed to be oh, the main character, ah. and everyone's like, "Oh my God, Jack Sparrow, Jack Sparrow!" Like after, so like for me, that's like wow, he just had such a huge influence on that film. We we love this movie. He's done really well. I think we all agree, but it's not his peak for any one of us. No, but I, I want to ask, which movie do you think is peak Chris Columbus? This is the second movie we did with for him in this series, right? Yes, yes. Uh, I, I personally think this movie is a better movie than Home Alone. I would oh. agree. Yeah. From the point of view of a director, yes. you mean? I would go with Home Alone, I think. I think just so much of it in this movie is carried by Robin Williams. I, I There's nothing really memorable from a directorial point of view, in a way. Whereas Home Alone, there is really the element of you feel the whole movie is shot from a kid's angle. And that, that, that stuck with me. Interesting. Okay, okay. Good question. Good question, yes. But thank you very much. Not but. Oh, I keep saying but thank you very much. I need to stop saying that. Thank you very much. Thanks, Kim. Thanks, Jester. Thanks, Daniel. I'm, we're not, of course, we have one episode left in season one, which is going to be a little bit different. We're going to have some honorable mentions of films we have not discussed in season one. And I'd love to get your personal opinions about the movies that you grew up with loving. I assumed we all love these movies. Clearly, some of us haven't even seen Mrs. Doubtfire before, but that's, that's okay. Uh, you know, we still love you, Daniel. And we're also going to have a little bit of voting leading up to it. There are a couple of categories I have in my head. Uh, I'd love to get your anonymous votes for it, or at least I can see what you voted. Uh, And then I'll announce some of the winners uh, next week. And then we'll see what that means. And we can have a discussion around that. And hopefully that'll be entertaining. Sorry, sorry. Is that for us four or are you talking to the audience? No, no, no. It's us, us four. I'm, us four. I'm very yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. There's no audience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Audience yeah. Audience I, that's, no, why, no. that's why I was so confused. <laughs> no, no, no. Jester, this is, not, this is not the People's Choice Award. This is the Academy who are voting. That's what it is. For this podcast, yes, we are the Academy. Why not? Thank you so much uh, once again and we'll see you next week for our final episode of the season. Bye. And that's a wrap for episode five. Thank you so much for listening all the way through this episode and for listening all the way through this season. We have one more episode for this first season of Low Culture. It seems to be a podcast all about my favorite movies and that was not the intention. So let's try and correct that in the final episode. So we'll see you next time for episode six of Low Culture, the season finale. Monocene Studios.